You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. As advertised, Chip Espinoza is here in the studio. And, you know, I think it is the rare opportunity where I get to have an author in the studio and talk about his one book and then a second or a later book. So it, this we're breaking new ground here, hey, Chip. Well, this is number three. Right, but I've only interviewed you for two. No. Well, I interviewed yeah, for- that's right. This is the third one. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, bad. Oh, I should have picked you up on the first one, too. Who am I to challenge the host? No, that's okay. I'm glad. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm excited to have you back. Millennials who manage, right? So right. this this is like a follow-on to your first book, right, about millennials in the workforce. So so now we're seeing them come of age a bit in the, right. in the workplace. So I can't wait to talk about... The seven toughest challenges a new generation of leaders face as they move into management. What dilemmas and issues are these leaders running into? That's why I've asked Chip Espinosa, co-author of Millennials Who Manage, how to overcome workplace perceptions and become a great leader to share the subject of generational diversity, master, ma- mastering management, and leadership competencies. So... I know you've been on Fox, you've been on CNN, you're all over the place, in addition to Critical Mass Radio Show, Chip. <laughs> exactly right? right. You're a popular guy now, um, which is great. Uh, what started your interest in generational diversity? Well, it's fascinating. So I'm teaching, right, yes. in a university, right. and I have my traditional undergraduates. And in the 90s, if I handed out a syllabus, they would never look at it. they just throw it in their backpack. In the 2000s, I'd hand a syllabus out. They get a red pin, go by line, line by line, get their attorney on speed dial. And, <laughs> and they're already and, negotiating and, with and, it. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, because I, what I realized immediately is they came in with this perspective. Everything is negotiable. Now, that was off-putting to other professors. And they would say, man, I just can't connect anymore. And they bother me. They just want the simplest way. I didn't see it that way. I saw that they wanted to be engaged in the process. Wow. They wanted to participate. Like a collaborate. Absolutely. And so they came into it with this expectation, hey, we're going to do this together. And, of course, I thought, oh, man, I wonder if organizations are struggling with the same type of thing. And right. certainly when I did the research, went out. and So really, the millennials inspired my work, my wow. students, and challenged me to go out and research it and write about it. Congratulations to you. They reframe it in a way that was actually productive. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And your research is leading to helping others, right? right. As your first book did. Well, your, sec- your first book that I interviewed you on, your second book. Right. And what happened, too, is, you know, Managing Millennials came out, and what usually drives kind of my next topic is Q&A. So when you're doing keynoting or training, okay, and you have opportunity at the end, so then people said, well, what do millennials have to do to adapt in the workplace? So then I did the second book, which was Millennials at Work, okay, and that was about international research on the challenges millennials face when they enter the workforce. Right. As an example, prior to work life, every authority figure in their life, they pretty much perceived to be for them coaches, teachers, parents, that they're there to help them get where they need to go, work will be the first place they may ever encounter an authority figure that they don't perceive to be for them. So that creates culture shock. So here I'm doing, okay, so now I'm doing managing millennials. I'm doing onboarding for companies like Microsoft and Schneider Electric. You named it. And and working, yeah, yeah, exactly, (laughs) working hard. But, But bringing these millennials in, and so then, 
Q&A after management a lot of times, seminars, they Uh would say, well, what if you're a millennial and you're managing people older than you? So that's what kind of triggered me <laughs> on you, that man. next book, right? Exactly. So it was like, you're going to just keep coming on with this, man. Figure that one out. And so I, I really have to say that that um, I wrote this book really as my thank you to millennials who really contributed to my expertise. But, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I had a visceral reaction, I think, to that because I think many times – you know, I lead CEO peer groups. I hear business executives. I talk to a lot of business owners. Not everyone sees this generation in the positive light that you frame them. Right. And part of it is, in that first book, what we came out were these perceptions. Now, perceptions are just perceptions. They're not necessarily reality. But if they're acted upon, they create a reality. Right. So Kind so, of cause and effect. Right. right. So I see, okay, well, millennials are perceived in a certain light because people don't understand their intrinsic values. For instance, they're perceived by managers to be defensive. So whenever you critique them or criticize them and it's not positive, you get this pushback or blowback. Well, the intrinsic value there is achievement. And the first thought of not achieving or pleasing your boss sets them really off Mm -hmm. and, and makes them insecure. So little things like that to understand as a manager, for instance, when you're going to give feedback is to say, make sure the relationship is intact with them. And then they'll listen to what you have to say and respond to it. Uh But if they don't feel like you've made the effort to be that supportive person to help develop their career, listening to you critique them is not something that is that they enjoy. And and let's let's let me finish that thought and tell me if I'm on point. Previous generations had the same many times emotional response, but they submerged it. Whereas millennials will let authority figures know in a way that baby boomers and Gen Xers maybe didn't. Right. And I don't want to go too deep into the pool, but okay. think about this. Okay? <laughs> the water's comfortable. So, so when you look at this idea of generation, and then you take two huge, the, the largest age cohorts to ever walk the face of the earth are baby boomers and millennials. That's why we're talking so much about it, is because most of the tension in, has been vying for setting the agenda. Mm. So in, in group norm theory, we say the dominant group gets to set the agenda for the organization. And everybody else has to follow it. Amen. And if you don't, you get punished or sanctioned. And so the whole thing is this 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 tension. And so it's it's because we've got this push for trying to move the needle in the organization. Millennials have the size really right. to do it. And they're the largest. They comprise the largest work concentration in the Fif- workforce. Now, exactly. Right? Today, ever since last May. Last May. Fifty three point five million millennials in the workforce. Oh, by the way. Yes. Twenty percent. Twenty percent of management's millennial already. All right. Well, the, your book is perfect time. Yeah. Then you just got it done in time and got it into the market. Everybody buy it. <laughs> That's right. You can. How can you pick up the other two if you haven't already? Right. It's a whole thing on your bookshelf. There. Start at the beginning and catch up. Okay. So um, we're gonna we only have a few minutes left in this segment, but I'm gonna start this conversation and we'll pick it up okay. on the other side if we don't conclude it, it. Which is the meat of the book, I think. Right. Which right. is part of the meat. It's it's the research, right? It, you know, I'm I'm looking at through your research. You know what? Let's at least touch on the seven challenges and see how far we get, and maybe we okay. pick it up on the other side. You got it. So the first thing, a change in the relational dynamics. When someone is promoted into management, two yes. things change relationally: their relationship with their peers. All of a sudden, they go from being one of the team to being the boss. 
that's difficult because what happens is their peers start to treat them differently. Absolutely. I've heard stories like this. They don't get invited to go out to happy hour after work. They One, one young lady got unfriended by her best friend who said, <laughs> I don't want my boss snooping on my, uh, on my Facebook. Nice. So that created kind of this loneliness and sadness yes. that, that got them in this, man, I, this isn't the best thing in the world. They, they wouldn't go back to not being promoted, but there was this sense of disappointment. Chip, is that because they also value collaboration? Yes, And absolutely. part of that is they're creating a distance in a space where they don't collaborate in the same way? Well, it, they're treated that way, like I said, by peers to say, look, you're different now. Right. And so the other relationship that changes is they have a fear of disappointing the person that promoted them. Okay. A boss. That's a good thing. It's, and, a, great, and, and, it's, a, it's a great thing. Right. However, if if you're not careful, in other words, all things being equal, what, what happens is on one shoulder they've got their intuition about this is how I would manage in this situation. On the other shoulder is their boss. This is what my boss would do. And so they've got this fight internally saying, boy, I really think the right thing to do is, is over here and what I think, mm-hmm. but I don't want to disappoint my boss. And so the point here is accept the fact that you're going to be treated differently by peers initially and that one day you're going to disappoint your boss and you have to live with that and right. you can't fear those days right all right well that was two well that's one that was one okay so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen don't go anywhere because we've got another 10 minute block coming up with dr chip espinoza and we're going to talk tackle the other six that's yeah, real quick. some, some of the other six don't worry you you want to stay tuned because this was the hours of research that he's done to put this book together his books are always well researched and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors richard franzi is a highly sought after keynote speaker on topics of interest to ceos of middle firms across north america Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Wow. Marketing predictions are out for 2015 and marketing success is changing. Did you know that Google is now actively tracking your business and personal brand and online reputation? Online and offline marketing has changed. Google is driving more than 85% of your traffic. And if your brand is inconsistent or has poor mobile usability, your rankings and traffic can suffer in 2015. To learn how your business is currently viewed and what can be done to improve your brand's visibility and authority, contact SunUp Group for a free marketing analysis. It could be a business game changer. Visit www.sunupgroup.com today or call 877-609-3840, extension 700. 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. Chip Espinosa is in our studio, and we're talking about his latest book, his third book, Millennials Who Manage, How to Overcome Workplace Perceptions and Become a Great Leader. Before we get back to the conversation, I want to let you know if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm Richard Rick Franzi, CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. And on your favorite podcasting software, type in these four words, Critical Mass Radio Show, and you'll be able to get our downloads of our weekly shows that we stream live here on octalkradio.net last but not least youtube channel richard franzi our show has reached over 170,000 listeners with our podcast since we started our show in 2009 okay so we were talking about your research let's continue with the challenges that you uncovered right so so those relational dynamics what you have to do is you have to be an authentic leader and so sooner or later you got to find your own voice and that whole fear of losing peers or fear of disappointing a boss, you have to live with that and find your own voice to be authentic. So I talk about that in the book. Another point I talk about, a challenge that these managers, millennial managers faced, was being responsible for the work of others. Mm. Okay? So all of a sudden now, they're used to going at their own pace, doing it, pounding it out, and being successful, but now they've got to be accountable for the work of others. That was a real rude awakening for them. And so here's what I would say to them, Rick, is that millennials sometimes will over-function. What do you mean? If people aren't doing their job, they'll do their job for them. Oh, okay. And that's a temptation they have, particularly older workers. Remember the old... Uh, uh, the old phrase about Muhammad Ali, rope de dope uh-huh. how he just lean against the right. neck and then right. just come back and pound somebody. Well, older workers kind of rope de dope They'll go, ah, I don't understand that technology, or I'm, you know, I'm unsure of this project. <laughs> and they'll get their millennial managers so we sucker them over into doing functioning. Our- <laughs> absolutely. Nice. Another one is we- is the challenge still for them is not being taken seriously, and and really that's more of a function of stereotype threat. Somebody sees somebody young and says, oh, they must be inexperienced. You know, why should I listen to them? Right. What and, do they and, know? And for that one, I what I say to them is that you, you're just going to have to master your current position, and and you're only you're going to have to earn their respect. And just like you would want your manager when you were coming in to earn your respect, right. that's what you're going to have to do with them. Uh, getting people to listen was was a challenge for them. And so what I talk to them is, you start by listening. And that's the way to get people to listen. Okay, to you. so modeling the behavior. Absolutely, that's a leadership start, trait. Yeah, exactly. So you start you start listening to them, and they'll start listening to you. And here's a this is a great Warren Bennis out of uh, mm-hmm. USC. Oh, I, I just love to read his stuff back in the day. But he made this observation. He said, non-leaders are primarily concerned with proving themselves, and leaders are primarily concerned with expressing themselves. Hmm. And so I said, don't get in the proving game. If you're always saying who you are, what your title is, and why you deserve the job, and why you're the boss, you're probably not going to be in a good position to lead. Now, we all have to show our credentials. You know, there's, right. there's a price of admission, but there comes the point to listen to yourself. Am I expressing my ideas, you know, it, or am I just trying to prove that I know 
what I'm talking about. Right. That kind of thing. And so another thing would be delegating work, which kind of was that sense of, you know, how much do I give out? How much do, you know, how much do I control? Which most people struggle with. Right. What they come by naturally, I'll say this, and we'll get into this maybe in a minute, but they're great at empowerment. They really get the concept of empowerment. And that's been a tough one for uh, other generations. Yeah, it's it's right? elusive. Yeah, because you're like going, okay, What's I'm going to give that person power. We, we know an empowerment. It's not that we're giving somebody power. It's that we recognize they have power and we allow them to use it within right. boundaries. It's almost like we don't take it away from them. Right. And so millennials come in with this idea of, of really wanting people to use their own power ideas and that type of thing. And okay. They scored really high in empowerment. And that's, I'll tell you in a minute, on our, we did this cool survey. Joel Schwartzbart, my co author, designed it. We took the Project Oxygen uh, manager expectation model that Google did, eight characteristics of a manager, and we sent out a survey, survey to managers of all ages okay. and to people who work for managers of all ages. And millennials scored consistently across the board higher than any other group. Wow. Except for yes. managers over 65 years old, the builders. Wow. And what was fascinating about that, when we looked at it, we said, okay, here we've got the builder manager has way more experience. Yes. And, and millennials are right there with them. And then we thought about builders still in the workforce, those people, you know, born between, what, 25 and 46, those that are still in the workforce are there because they love work and they love yes. people and they want to share their ideas. They're not moving up the ladder anymore right. they're not vying for power they're just there to contribute and wow. so that's what we saw in that so that was interesting so this idea of delegating work i think what they need to use is their empowerment skills there okay and holding people accountable getting mutual agreement about outcomes on goals and tasks having that conversation not making assumptions about what people expect or what they're supposed to do but being clear in direction just like millennials appreciate and then motivating others was was a challenge. You say, there's some people I just can't motivate. And that's been a long, we've studied that for years, right? right? And can, right. can you motivate someone? No. You no. have to put them in a position to be motivated, self-motivated. Yes. And so in that case, um, I, had a, I had a professor, Dr. Norman Shafchuk. He was amazing. But of all the classes I took for him, this one sentence changed the way I thought about leadership. He says, people tend to support what they help to create. Mm, that is absolutely true. And so millennials come across, like I said in that original conversation we had about participation in the classroom, I said use those skills, that desire to create a participative work environment where people feel engaged and that they're listened to and their ideas are taken. And by the way, some of the strengths of millennial managers that people older than them said that work for them, okay. creativity, they're relatable, they are understanding. So there's a lot of positives that came out of the data that was interesting. Okay. Is there? So we're talking with Chip Espinosa, and we're talking specifically about his latest book, Millennials Who Manage, and the research that underpins the, the book. If you could classify them on a scale relative to the previous generations, you know, maybe the X generation and the, and, and, and the baby boomers, their in, innate intrinsic ability to be good at attacking these challenges, do, are, do, is it stronger? Is yes, it? stronger. And okay. that's what we found out. And that, Rick, it was amazing. So when we look at how they scored on this, we're saying, well, what is the deal here? Well, and then we thought about it. The, the notion of emotional intelligence yes. was fairly new 20 years ago. Right. 
Daniel Goldman. Today, they've grown up with it. <laughs> it's not like, duh. You know, <laughs> yeah. if you understand yourself and you have a self-awareness, you'll be able to self-regulate. And if you self-regulate, you'll be able to relate to others better and you'll have relational awareness. So emotional intelligence, simple, huh? empowerment. Um, you think about conflict resolution and peer counseling and some of the things they've been exposed to at earlier ages in their life of concepts. Uh, let's look at psychometrics, okay? So we go out with a bunch of baby boomers and X and say, hey, we're going to go on a work retreat and we're all going to take the Myers-Briggs and we're going to learn about each other. And everybody's like, oh, mm-hmm. not again. Right. And millennials are going, ooh, amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get to learn about myself and I'm going to get to see what my strengths wow. are. And So they're really into development, personal development. Right. Right. So four areas they need to develop real quick. Yes. Number one, self-leadership. Get a perspective about leadership. Okay. Know know where you're coming from. Number two, one-on-one leadership. Be able to build trust with people one-on-one. Number three, team leadership. Realize that none of us is as smart as all of us. And number four is organizational leadership, where we value both people and results. Now, a lot of leaders I work with, and probably you too, are good at two of them, but not all four. Mm-hmm. And so I think millennials who look at doing mastery really want to be great leaders. Look at those four quadrants. Excellent. We're talking with Chip Espinoza. So um, you are reinforcing a belief that I have, which is, uh, as a parent of millennials, we did a damn fine job raising some really well-rounded young people. Yeah. No. And, and who, who have who have some really strong skills to attack some of the challenges that we're facing both economically and in other areas of, of, of life, right? I agree. I agree. But there's something that but? does concern me. Okay. Resiliency. Uh-oh. How resilient will they be? I'm concerned that the highest suicide rate generationally ever, millennials. Really? Medicated for depression. There are some things they feel mm. a, a tremendous amount mm-hmm. of pressure to be successful and to prove that everybody that invested in them did a good thing. Wow. And I, I, wow. I'm concerned for them in that. And so one of the things I say to them at the end of the book of getting to the next level is that you've, you've got to give yourself some grace and you've got to be patient sometimes. And you may not be moving at the speed that you want to, but you have to sit back and use that time to learn about yourself and about your organization. Wow, that was Thank you for that. I, uh, that is new. That is new insight. That's something I'm going to take a note. I'm going to go off and try to learn personally a little bit more about it myself. Thank you, Chip Espinoza. You always give me something to think about, <laughs> which is why I'm so excited to have you back on the radio show. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Actually, we have a minute left. So I'm sorry. I had more questions I wanted to ask you. That's good. Uh, how does somebody buy the book? Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble. It, it's all over that. How do you spell your name? E S P I N O Z A. Okay, so, so they Chip can Espinoza, find your Google author's page. Every, yeah, all those places. You, do, you you had something for me to prep. You asked me for a, a quote that that I would leave or, or something that's influenced me or that I live by. Now, yes. Okay. And what I've learned about my work, and here it is, and I here's my here's my final message to my millennial managers. Invest in yourself before you expect other people to invest in you. Wow. What I've learned in my life is the minute that I invested in myself, I signed up for a class or I bought my own computer and didn't wait for somebody else to do something for me, other people came right behind me and said, I want to do this. I want to get behind you. Wow. 
Wow, that's good. Hey, we'll call that your guiding principle. There you go. There you go. Chip Espinosa, he's batting extra bonus points there. I did want to ask you this question. There's a generation behind these these millennials. Right. Are you studying? Will you? Are you going to turn your attention to them as well, or are you are you solidly in the millennial camp? Right now, I'm solidly in the millennial camp simply because I study workforce behavior. Okay. And so, because that generation's not there. I really don't have a lot to say, and I, I have ideas about it, but really I don't have the research on it, so I'm kind of so waiting for How it. old is the oldest, whatever the Probably next around year. 14 years old. Okay, for, so it's not, you're going to start a, seeing them in college soon then. Yeah, absolutely. So and, the experience you had yeah. with the millennials will start off. And I get university faculties. I do faculty retreats, and they'll call me up and come and talk to us, and now they're starting to ask you know about this next generation, and that's where eventually I'll, I'll, I'll probably research that generation in the workplace. But right now I'm smack in the middle of the millennials. Amen. It's the biggest part of the workforce. Oh, by the way, managing the millennials second edition comes out in April. You just keep giving. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling the globe, keynote speaking, teaching courses, writing books. Oh, it's it's. I have to tell you this funny story at the okay. end. Okay, so I show up for this conference, and I go into this big auditorium, a gigantic conference hotel, and I said, who's the person handling, you know, and where am I going to stand? And they go, well, Dr. Espinosa, this isn't your room. And they took me off to this breakout room. It would hold maybe about, you know, 25 people. And I'm like, oh, ouch. Next year I'm coming back and I'm commanding the big hall. <laughs> That's okay. I tweeted out the pictures of the big convention center. <laughs> you always uh, you always deliver. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for being a friend of the program and a part of our critical mass community. Got it. Appreciate what you do. Concordia University, Irvine. I'm the academic director of Org Psych and okay. Nonprofit Leadership. And I heard that great commercial about working wardrobe yes wonderful organization yes and so what we do is we help leaders of nonprofits beef up their skills i don't know how you find the time all right we're gonna have to go because i'm out of time my producer's telling me it's time to go i want to thank the advertisers center club decision toolbox mbn design sunup group and t and company our engineer for today is none other than paul roberts our producer is joan park and crystal nunley and i'm your host rick franzi if you'd like to learn more about the radio show or our firm and the ceo peer groups that i lead Visit criticalmass4business.com. All the words are spelled out. Until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 